Hello everyone and welcome to The Hidden Lives of Writers. My name's Fiona Snickers and I'm here with Gail Schimmel who has a book out which I know is out there in the world and I have not yet got a copy of it as I sit here today and I'm very jealous. But congratulations, Gail. Thank you, Fiona. And we're going to have to remedy that you don't have a copy. I will be on to the relevant people. <laughs> I'm very happy to pay for it. I'm not a book bum. But uh, I'm, I'm just, yeah, at the moment I would pay uh, black market prices for that book. It looks so <laughs> awesome. It's got a gorgeous cover. I love the premise. We toyed with, with the whole secrets and lies concept. Right. And thought about Little Lies as a title, but my last book was called Never Tell a Lie. That's and it, we, yes. we got a bit bogged down then in how much lying can you have in one literary career. <laughs> so um, Little Secrets was the end title. But it, it's interesting because often when I write, the title I start with is the title I end with. But this book had a very personal title while I was a working title that I couldn't mm-hmm. possibly have used. It didn't make any sense to anyone except me. And then it had another title that I thought was excellent and nobody else did. And then we came to Little Secrets. So you you may notice as you hear me talk about it in the coming weeks that I often pause slightly before I get to the title because I'm going through like the Rolodex in my head trying <laughs> to find what the title actually is. But it, it does look awesome. Just just give us a, introduce us a little bit to the premise of the book. So basically it is about a woman called Monique who is very happily married to her husband Ben. And she's very happily married because she's determined to be very happily married. She has mm-hmm. all she has ever wanted to be is a good wife and a good mother. And that is where she gets her satisfaction in life. And she works hard at it. And Ben meets a woman in a coffee shop. And, and at I the hate same her already. Time, <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, her daughter meets a woman at the gym. Mm-hmm. And these women are going to upset the balance of Monique's life. Okay. Da, 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 da. Oh, that sounds so intriguing. I really can't wait. And then, okay, no, I won't say the rest. I was going to give a spoiler. I was going to really <laughs> badly give a spoiler, but I won't. I'll stop talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> so in the meantime, I'm having to satisfy myself with another piece of fiction, which is essentially about a marriage, and that is Diplomat or The Diplomat on Netflix. Ah. Um, it's the sort of one of the hot shows at the moment. And uh, it's it's about a woman who has just been made the American ambassador to London. But it's more about her marriage, about her relationship with her husband. And I'm enjoying it so much because the sexiest couple in the show are her and her husband. And basically, it, it makes monogamy sexy. In a very interesting way. That's a nice change. Which appeals to me because I do find, I find marriage sexy and I find monogamy sexy. And it's got this interesting premise whereby this man actually has erectile dysfunction with everyone except his wife. Okay, but Fiona, if they're monogamous, how does he know that? Well, he sort of <laughs> tries to stray, but he can't. <laughs> it literally nothing works except with his wife, which I think is a modification that all men should come with. Completely, completely. It would solve so many problems. <laughs> it, it would certainly solve the people in my books problem. <laughs> Fiona, how has your writing week been? Interesting. Um, I've 
been working sort of under the supervision of essentially a script supervisor. Um, my book Lacuna has been optioned for screen. No deals have been done yet or anything like that, but we're trying to hammer out a screenplay. And I'm learning so much. It's an incredibly steep learning curve. And I'm somebody who thought, you know, I already know how to construct a story. But then I realized when it was pointed out to me that I had put three or four scenes, one after the other, in the same setting. Mm -hmm. And the script supervisor told me that on the screen, you cannot do that. The viewer's eye gets bored. It gets stale and tired from seeing the same setting over and over again. And I was so obsessed with, you know, but the dialogue's different. There are different people there. There's mm. things happening. These are important scenes. And didn't realize that how static it was mm. to stay in the same setting for scene after scene after scene. And I, I think there are lessons to be learned there in our fiction as well. Absolutely. Because I, I do tend to keep things rather static. That is so interesting. You say so because my co-writer, Kate Sidley, is always very aware of setting and making us change our setting, whereas I'm not. I would happily have them stay in one room for the whole book. Yeah, um, and just talk to each other. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, and say intelligent things, and that's enough. But Kate wants us to change settings, and people must move, and they must go and do things, and there must be physical action. And maybe, you know, that is a, almost what one needs in screenwriting but very interesting lesson it's going to make me look at my work in progress a little bit differently when I get back to the page today Yeah, speaking of getting back to the page how has your writing week been <laughs> when I hopefully get back to the page today I should say um it's been odd mm -hmm. so you know me and my I've not Change from trying to write 500 words a day to writing a thousand words a day. Mm -hmm. But what's really happening is I'm writing a thousand words every two days. So the outcome is the same. Okay. And I've had a very busy week and quite a stressful week. So writing has been hard. And the only time I've managed it is while my son does jujitsu mm -hmm. and I sit in an incredibly uncomfortable chair, not designed for working at all. Mm. And I make myself hammer out those thousand words while he does jujitsu. Yes. So if he did it a bit more often, my book would flow a bit faster. So a medium writing week. Yeah, I think I've spoken before about the orthodontist appointment where you've got 20 wasted minutes and you can just sit there flicking through your phone or a magazine or you can get two or 300 words done. Maybe I need to throw the orthodontist into the mix. I did waste <laughs> a good orthodontist appointment the other day. <laughs> and in terms of what you've been reading or watching or listening to? So I have a confession. Um, I have made it publicly previously, but... You will remember when we interviewed Sue Nyati, mm -hmm. I had not yet read, and I was open about it, I had not yet read An Angel's Demise. Right. And because I was too scared, Sue had told me it's a serious book, and I'm not up to serious stuff at the moment. But I had to read it because I'm interviewing Sue in another context where I actually have to know what's in the book. And I read it, and it is magnificent. I quite agree. So, yeah, a little lesson for me in maybe don't protect yourself so thoroughly from mm. painful reading. I've actually had the experience as well recently with Margie Orford's book, In the Eye of the Beholder, right? Um, which, again, very reluctant to read because she writes against about violence against women, and mm. I, I, mm. I can't bear it. Yeah. Um, but, again, I had to read it, and 
absolutely gripping. So I think uh, my lesson for the week is be careful what you protect yourself from because maybe you're protecting yourself from a very good book. Yeah. These are narratives where there's more going on. There's so much more going on in terms of character development and story and momentum. And um, yeah, one's missing out on some good stuff. I also tend to protect myself. And one can step back a bit from the violence. One can go, you know what? This is a book. It is mm. made up. Um, it's don't get, you know, don't go into it too deeply. So I try to read that part of the book a little bit, take myself out of the reader experience a bit and read it slightly more critically so that mm-hmm. I don't get so upset by it. Although with both books, that was very difficult because you are so drawn in mm-hmm. that you, mm-hmm. you do get emotionally caught up. But two excellent reads and two reads that I would not have read if I didn't have to. Okay, fantastic. Well, our guest today is Zukiswa Vanner. Uh, you know her from her books, The Madams from 2006, Behind Every Successful Man from 2008, Men of the South 2010, London Cape Town Joburg was 2014, Made in SA, 30 Ways to Leave Your Madam. I've got that as 2013. That's 2013. Is that right? Okay. Then we have nonfiction like Hardly Working, children's picture books, and uh, a middle grade book. That was The Black Pimpernel. Zukiswa is the winner of the K. Sello Deka Award. The Goethe Medal. Yeah, and I'm going to interrupt. Others. I don't think we've got time to name all the things <laughs> that she's the winner of. We'll be here all day. <laughs> An hour, you say. <laughs> so welcome, Zuki. It's so nice to have you oh, here. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. So a funny story happened is that you sent me an email and you said, are we still on for the fifth? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh. I haven't got my ticket for essay. That's when I bought my ticket. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? <laughs> so, so I bought my ticket to be here. Actually, yes. You've flown in yes. only for this podcast. For this podcast. <laughs> well, I think, I think that that is quite right and proper. Everybody should be flying in for our podcast. Yeah. For the privilege of talking to us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, let's start with you. You know, we, we always start with talking about our writing weeks. How has your writing week been? I, I really admire that you guys actually have writing weeks. <laughs> I don't write unless I have something to write, but I think the summary of my writing week has been emails, mm-hmm. responding to them. And, um, I had to do, um, you know, you know, when people ask you to do an abstract, mm-hmm. an abstract, I don't understand being asked to do an abstract, but I had to do an abstract, uh, because I'm doing an Einstein lecture. Oh, seriously, awesome. <laughs> I did that very smoothly. Very, very, <laughs> very impressive. But, but not just, uh, I've got to, I've got to pause that you don't write unless you've got something to write, but, you know, we feel, I, I feel, Compelled to always write. Um, so when do you have something to write? What does an idea land in your head and then it wants to be written? So usually an idea lands in my head and I let it swirl. So I'm like, I start thinking, how am I going to write this? How do I create this character? Da, 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 da. If, if it's fiction or nonfiction, whatever, how am I going to pursue this? And only when I feel that, you know, it's ready, I'm, the, I'm, I think I'm the type of, writer who rather than 1000 words a day mm-hmm. i walk around with 
an idea idling and then I vomit out a manuscript, if you will. We're going to talk about that a lot more, but I've got to give Fiona a chance to ask questions as well, because Fiona, I could do the whole hour just on that, unpacking that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I want to go back to the beginning of your writing career with the madams, mm. um, which is a theme that you have revisited in your career, the maids and madams dynamic in South Africa. Yes. You revisited it in Made in South Africa, 30 Ways to Leave Your Madam, which was a hoot. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I still think of lines from that book. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's crazy? That, that book is actually nonfiction, but satire. Mm -hmm. I, I interviewed domestic workers and I interviewed madams mm -hmm. for that book. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was interesting, obviously, that you've seen from the book that the madam's side is thinner because the domestic workers know the madam more intimately than the madams know the domestic workers. Right. So, right, yeah. Right. So that was actually weirdly nonfiction. And what is it about that dynamic that has attracted you so that you've written two books on the subject? Uh, I think it's, it's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of women, uh, we're, we're in an age and an era where we talk about how we're feminists and, mm. you know, and, 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 and in fact, it's frowned upon to say you are not a feminist, right? And, and, and yet, from the very domestic sphere, the way we, we treat this, uh, the way these women are treated, I've never had it. I don't know how made. <laughs> I don't know whether that's a major of honor, but the way, the, the way I've always observed from, from the outside looking in, that particular dynamic where it's, you know, a, a domestic worker is, you know, oh, can you, can you go and get this for me? Can you do this for me? Can you, what you call it? But also, uh, sometimes not even seeing, seeing her. So we'll have the type of, I've had conversations with my friends and I'll say we'll have because I'm, you know, although I've never have a, had a domestic worker, I have also like just sat with my friends and we'll have a conversation where they, they don't see that the domestic worker is there. So the, the, this, the mm. sordid details that you share mm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're like, and I always reflect and I think this person can bury you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make an observation about that because I'm afraid to say I fall very squarely into the madam camp. Um, I would never be able to say the statement, I have never had a domestic worker. <laughs> but I'm sometimes amazed. So I'll have a friend spilling their guts in front while Queen does the ironing in the background. And afterwards I'll say to Queen, did you hear what she said? Can you believe it? And Queen will go, I wasn't listening to you. Mm. Like, actually, my friend's problems are of so little interest to her that she's carrying on with her own inner life mm. and her own thoughts. And I'm always, because I'm the sort of person that I would be listening and I would be keeping it in my head and I would be. Wait until she writes a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should write the book. <laughs> Incidentally, I'm actually going to um, Angola for the Portuguese launch of it. Oh, fantastic. So the Madams is being brought out in Portuguese. So, yes, and, and, and I'm very excited about it because, you know, um, I always said with my translations, I wanted them to be done on this continent first because mm -hmm. I kind of feel that people people here relate to it mm -hmm. and then if you know 
it's taken in, in another country in Europe or whatever, great. But I kind of feel that people on this continent understand the dynamics of what I'm talking about. They understand the stuff. So um, then I, I I don't know whether you know Onjaki. Uh, he is a writer from Angola. No. But Onjaki, Onjaki started a publishing company in Angola, you mm-hmm. know. So Onjaki and I have kind of been doing the same treasure. Let's get into publishing. Let's do crazy stuff as if we don't have enough stuff on our plate. <laughs> Perhaps that's why I don't write X amount of words a week. <laughs> We're going to come back to your words. Don't you worry. Know? We're going to revisit um, that statement. But, 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 but him and, um, and Jasmusa Kasinda, who is in, uh, Mozambique decided that they wanted to, uh, you know, to do the translation of the madams, mm-hmm. you know. So I said, okay, great. So they did the translation, uh, and yeah, so I'm going to Angola for the launch next uh, week. And, um, yeah, and then I'll be in Mozambique for the launch in, uh, August. And what they're doing with, with, with Mozambique, the reason why it's going to be a while is because they're also doing a theatrical performance. Oh, so wow. it's going to be, I'm looking forward to seeing what the, what the playwrights do with it for the stage, you know? Fantastic. That then, is so yeah, exciting. I'm that, really excited And it will about be it. very interesting to see how it's received by a different audience, by a non-South African audience. Exactly. It will really be interesting. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. And then it's going to be in Brazil next year. Well, so. you share this all on social media so that we can follow. I, I, I probably will. I, I'm back on social media now. Good. I had a, yeah, I had some drama with Instagram and somebody hacked my Instagram. Right. And then I, I realized actually, actually how much I, I didn't like social media. So I stayed off for a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm back now because I'm doing all these events. We promise we won't troll you. We just want, we just want updates. Can we return to those words today? But sorry, Fiona, can I, can I return to the words today? Because I'm a bit bit obsessed with my words today and I felt like it was a personal attack that you said a thousand words. Me writing a thousand words today, you know. Um, but how's that working for you? Yeah, yeah. To use a Dr. (laughs) Philism. It works Real. when it works, um, but when it doesn't work, it does become a uh, that I've made the whip for on my own back. But I want to know, wait, so you plan in your head. What does that look like? Do you take notes? Do you draw up a scheme or does it all just happen in your head? And then when you vomit it out, how fast do you vomit it out? Because this morning I listened to a podcast where a woman writes 6,000 words a day. Oh my do you write 6,000 words a day? When I'm vomiting out, I do sometimes really? more. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the upcoming novel, um, Love, Mary, Kill. Mm-hmm. I saw uh, a sneak peek of that. <laughs> you you had a sneak awesome. peek of it. Yeah. Um, the upcoming novel is I, you know, I did a few notes. Uh, and, and generally my notes is, I'm, I, I, I tend to write character driven narratives, uh, generally. So, my notes is, okay, where's this person? How do they grow up? And so while I was doing that, so I've got a, I've got a character called Akani in there. And so he grew up in, in Tembisa. So I went, I've got a friend who's got a, who's got a, um, a, a bottle store. I call it a Shabin. It is a Shabin. Who's <laughs> <laughs> got a Shabin in, in, in Tavisa, you know? And, and I went and I was serving there for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'd actually just get into place and that characters in, in that place that I was seeing and stuff. And, um, 
you know and there's there's a there's a there's a guy there who's short and is always uh an old man and he's always very you know snazzily dressed you know and he wears you know he wears this fedoras and stuff you know and i thought myself i can't waste this guy you know mm-hmm. so but i mean of course i changed him a little bit i i gave him i gave him one arm Fair enough. You know. Sometimes somebody has to have only one arm. Yeah, I gave I gave him one arm, but but you know he's he's a he's a he's a he's a murderer for for hire mm-hmm. with one arm, a one armed murderer for hire. Mm-hmm. I thought that. <laughs> when do we get this book? When is it art? <laughs> you know, if it was up to Quella, it would be out like next week. But um, my my agent preferred that we try and sell it in the US and UK first and so I told them to wait until next year. Next year? Yeah. No. I don't good think things. That that's right. We must wait for fair. good things. <laughs> I'll I'll sit, sit in a little depression now while you you go ahead, Fiona. <laughs> yeah, I I wanna look back um on when you were starting out, which was more or less when I was starting out. Yeah. So as as a black writer back in let's say two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight you would write a book mm. and you would approach a white publisher to mm. publish it. Mm. And a white reviewer would review it mm. and you would go to a white-owned literary festival and talk about your work in front of a white audience. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to today, 2023. Mm. You have your own publishing imprint. You have created an entire online literary festival um, which focuses on African literature. Mm. The reviewer landscape has changed, and a lot of this you made happen. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you give me a lot of credit here. <laughs> you, you actually deserve a lot of credit mm. because the whole literary landscape has transformed, and I I do see you as a mover of that. How intentional were you in sort of getting these properties into black hands? I think a lot of it uh with me was um just really recognizing you know there's this weird thing that happened when the madams came out in 2006 mm. um I remember even with a launch I I I called my then publisher you know and I said so so they're like the book is out you know we're sending you copies I said so where's the launch and he said, there's no budget for the launch. Yes, I remember you know? those days. I remember well. those days. Yeah. Mm. So they say there's no budget for the launch. I'm like, flip. You know, so I went to the then, remember when Shara Books was in Newtown? Mm. You know, mm. when Newtown was a vibe. Mm. So I went to, uh, I went to Shara Books and I talked to June Josephs, mm-hmm. uh, Langa's partner. Yep. And, uh, I said to June, listen, I need to launch my book can you make it happen and she said oh can you send me a blurb for a blurb of the book and i sent her and she said to me oh i have just the person you know so she um hooked me up with a person for the launch and uh my discussant was this literary academic doctor <laughs> who in the end i published her first novel adult novel Noctula Mazibukum Smang. 
Awesome. Awesome. What a story. I know. What a story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm traumatized remembering those days of no launches. I I know, right? Yeah, I actually. I remember we also had a very fantastic vibe, uh, like the job of writers, where we used to do stuff with Louis Greenberg, the whole bunch of us, and and Catherine White, and, you know. Yeah, we made it happen because nobody else was making it happen for us. us. I remember we did that, that trip to the Eastern Cape. Yes. Which was like a riot. It's a pity that you left, man, early because, yo, hey, things <laughs> happened. <laughs> I wasn't in with the in card at this stage. No, we're the cool kids then. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, Gail, you weren't looking for the cool kids. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, but it's, 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 it was something that I was like, I wanted to do it. So then people were saying, uh, even, even publishers would be like, the the average reader is a middle class white woman, you know, mm-hmm. and and then I remember that I'd taken the madams to um to Soweto and I I I I I'd given a copy to my cousin. So at some point in time, I wanted to I was going for I'd been invited for something and I realized I was out of copies. So I went to Normandy and I said, "Uh, cause where's?" My, my borrow that copy of yours and I'll give it back. And she said, Oh, no, no, I don't have it. And, uh, she said, I gave it to Lindy. And then I was like, Oh, okay. And then I went to Lindy. Lindy said she'd pass it on to somebody. So essentially the whole road had read my book, mm. but mm. they just read that one copy. Mm. And I thought, wow, you know, um, clearly people are reading. Mm-hmm. But we need to tell them then that it's okay to buy books. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and so, like, so essentially, when people say to me, "Oh, books are expensive," I'm like, uh, two hundred rand. How much do you use on a bottle of wine? You know, yeah. do you think that maybe you can sacrifice a bottle of wine? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we shouldn't sacrifice wine, but <laughs> in an ideal world, you'll Needs have a bottle of wine with the book, and you'll combine it into mm-hmm. a happy event. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I'd, I'd choose the book any day, I have to admit. Um, but yeah, it, it's would int- you? I would. <laughs> I'm afraid so. I, um, yeah, I mean, we could have a whole separate discussion about that. I realized that South Africa was very closed, mm-hmm. and I thought uh, I wanted to move to the rest of the continent. And so, you know, my moving to Kenya was actually a very deliberate thing. Right. Um, I mean. I, I thought to myself, uh, uh, there, there were, there were, there were other interests. I thought to myself, I didn't, I didn't really want to raise my son here because, yeah, toxicity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a level of toxicity there as well, but I just wanted him to, to get a wider worldview or continental view, if you will. And, uh, but my moving to Kenya was really, I think probably was the thing that really turned everything on its head because when I moved there, um everybody believes that South Africa is Afrophobic. So now you had the South African who moved to another African country and not to Europe and not to not to the US. And the rest of the continent was like, Oh, maybe you're all right, you know? And with that, they then decided I was their South African literary expert. So then they started asking me, Oh, we need this, we need that. Da, da. So, you know, when Lola started Ake Festival, she was like, can you, can you be on the advisory board? I was like, oh, okay, you know. So every year that she did 
Anchor Festival to like, who do you think we should invite from South Africa? Who do you think we should invite from Angola? And so forth and so on, you know. Which raises a question that I always ask people, which is, how how did you come to writing? Because you've really made a career deeply entrenched in writing. You write, but you also do these, all these, I think, Fiona, you used the phrase writing adjacent activities, which mm-hmm. I love. Mm-hmm. Um, did you start out, did, is that what you were always going to be? Or do you secretly, are you actually an accountant secret? <laughs> You know, somebody's saying you secret, you secretly in 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 you work for the national intelligence because you're always traveling. <laughs> so maybe that's my secret job. But um, but um, no, I I didn't plan it. But I think as happens with Fiona, with Angela, we we both started in journalism. You know, and 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 so I started in journalism, and then um. I very, very quickly realized, well, I didn't realize, uh, Louis, the late Louis Nkosi made me realize it because, uh, I remember him saying that, oh, you should, you should write a novel because I used to send him like little snippets of, uh, opinion pieces and what, and, and I suppose that means that my creative nonfiction really sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you should write fiction. And I, and I say to him, I'm too much of a realist to write fiction. Ah, the fables of youth. <laughs> but I realized, and then he's like, oh, that's such bull, you know? So I kind of took it as a challenge. And, and, and that's actually how the madams came about. And I still obviously do quite a bit of nonfiction, you know, as a few of my, you know, Black Pimpernel, for instance, and, uh, hardly working. But, I realized something very interesting with fiction. It's, it's freeing. So you can say all the things that you want without being sued. <laughs> so <laughs> most as, of the time, most of the time. I mean, you'd have to prove to me that it's you, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's difficult to, to stand. Well, we quotes. now know about the, the one armed man. <laughs> <laughs> well, nah, you know, there are a lot of short men in that area. So. <laughs> That's a short man. Um, I wanted to ask about Men of the South. Mm. Okay. Now, that book was written and came out at a time when toxic masculinity wasn't even a phrase in Mm. the common parlance. Mm. Um, and, and people weren't looking closely at men and masculinity, Mm. but you were, you were, Mm. I think, one of the first in South Africa to look at it. Um, and now some years later, I I would venture to say that the situation is not better. It's possibly worse. Worse. Uh, And men are turning to these extremely toxic role models to... Who is that guy on whatever, who's big on on, on YouTube or whatever, that they love so much? Um, I'm thinking of Andrew Tate. Yes, Andrew Tate. I'm thinking Mm. of Jordan Peterson. Exactly. These these guys are getting to our sons at a Mm. young and impressionable age Mm. and leading them down the path of misogyny, misogynoir. Um, what can we do? What can a feminist mom do to sort of counteract this? You know, it, it, it's, it's difficult, but, um, I've, I've been very lucky, I think, as a parent, uh, because my son is like, oh yeah, no, this guy is like Andrew Tate. He's problematic mm-hmm. mom, you know? Mm-hmm. So, 
he 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 realizes it but i remember having a conversation with him where he said oh yeah you know uh this so he 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 likes cooking a lot and and uh and and cleaning and, and I hate cleaning but I like cooking. So uh so he so he was like oh he was talking about something and then I said uh and I remember I gave I gave a response and then he said to me Oh that's not very feminist of you. Like he checked me <laughs> and I was like, Why? Hey Aren't we having like a no holds barred mother's mother's son conversation? So I don't I don't know, man. You know, like I, I suppose one of the things that I have done is surrounded my sir my son with positive male and female role models. Mm-hmm. I, I think that generally makes a difference so that 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 guys he he aspires to but is also very self-aware and that's that's very important in in anybody not just not just children but ourselves as well he's is is also very self-aware so even when he meets a problematic somebody that he likes he can still say oh i like them and I like this about them, but this is what's problematic about them, you know. And and right, I think right. I think that's generally very important. And I hope, obviously, that he stays that way. He's turning eighteen very soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting because it's quite a writerly way of looking at people and seeing the nuances of people. Mm. Because I think often a good character in a book is a character where there are those nuances that you can be both a good and bad person. Mm. So maybe you've passed on a bit of that writerly view of the world. Interestingly enough, he he does his is is very artistic, which is why it's a bit heartbreaking that he said he wants to do medicine. Uh. And I told him, obviously, I had to tell him, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. because. You know, he, he writes, when he does the writing, like, you know, I've, I've got like fantastic reports on his creative fiction, on, on his creative stuff, but he also plays, uh, the piano and the guitar and he's self-taught on the saxophone, you know, so he's very artistic. Let, let me get this straight. Am I sitting talking to a mother who's disappointed that her child wants to be a doctor? <laughs> yeah. Is yes, that actually, what is actually happening yeah. in this room? <laughs> Yes, actually, of course. So I had to, I, I said to him, I said to him, are you sure you want to be a doctor? He said, he wa- yes, he wants to be a doctor. I said, do you realize, uh, that doctors are the profession with the highest suicide rate? <laughs> you know, so. Encouraging. Encouraging. So, so, so it's like, that's what I want to do. I was like, are you sure you don't want to be like, like a musician? You, you know, like, he's <laughs> like, I still do music, but I don't want to be a musician. I'm like, wow, you know, I've been like surrounding you with musicians and, and visual artists and actors and, and you're saying you don't want this life is like, I don't want this broke life. I'm like, doctor is not really nice. So it's, the unemployed doctors. It's interesting know. though that you say that because I am the child of an artist <laughs> and I actively chose a, a career path that would make money. Uh, I think it often, I think often the child of the children of artistic people yeah. want the money path. I became a lawyer. Oh, um, I'm a lawyer by profession. So there is, I think there is a reaction, but the good news is. But can you, you tell us about Tabobista? You still come, no, um, <laughs> nobody, nobody can explain that. Um, but you still come back to the art. And if he's artistic, you come mm. back to it. Mm. You, you find your way to it. Well, we hope. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure he's read 
books by a certain South African doctor who's also a writer. Uh, he so. he actually reads a lot. Like he reads voraciously. He mm-hmm. he like now when he's he's doing his A levels now. He was doing um uh all levels uh so from uh year one up until all levels he was in Kenya and he decided he wanted to be in an in another African country before he comes to so he's doing his A levels in in Zimbabwe now you okay. Know? Uh, and then he says he wants to do university here. So I'm like, okay, cool. But, um, he, he was like, as he was packing, uh, three days ago to go to Zim, he was like, oh yeah, no, I don't have, I don't have, I need, I need some books, you know, to mm-hmm. read whatever. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, cool. So he reads voraciously. In fact, he's actually been, um, um, a better reader for quite a few books that have come out. Okay. I, uh, yeah. Uh, on young adults. So there is like, uh, two Nigerian writers that he's been a better reader for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So that's very interesting. Yeah. And what a nice and, job for a young and man. I, and yeah. And I always tell them to pay him. And when they pay him, then I kind of forget that, um, I just remember that there's something that I need to pay. And can I borrow your money? Like, my <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to something you said earlier about readers and the middle class white woman being the, the, um, the kind default. of target reader. <laughs> and then that experience you had with the book being passed from woman to woman in the street. And because my feeling is that there is this huge unexplored black middle class woman reader. Um, and that actually is where our readers are sitting. And is, is with, with your publishing endeavors and with your literary festivals, are you finding that that's the truth? Are we reaching those women? Actually, that, that, that is where we are now because one of the most, uh, influential people right now is Lorraine Stolle, you know, mm-hmm. and she has, she has a book club and mm. that book club they do mm. wonders with that book club. And now all these book clubs, uh, uh, that are coming out, that have come out, you know, and, and, and they're unapologetic and mm. they're brilliant. And I, I've, I've been lucky where I hear sometimes like, oh, there's a book club. We're having a book club meeting. And, and I'm like, can I just like, can I just come and be a guest, you know? And it's always so brilliant mm. because, uh, so I think, that space has arrived because even publishers, the, the Pan Macmillans, the Quellers, uh, the Penguins, they are sending their books to these mm. women mm. and saying, you know, can you do our author's books? And, mm. and that to me is amazing. So yeah, I think, I think we're there now in South Africa. Um, and it's interesting also because it's, 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 it's oddly become a very continental trade um trend i i see it in kenya i see it in nigeria i see it in ghana you know i see it uh where there's this bunch of women who come and they turn up at books and you know the old trend that existed uh which is that the average reader is a woman is very much in existence the average reader of nonfiction the average reader of fiction and nonfiction by the way um it's yeah men i don't know men are into seven habits of deadly yes. people or whatever yes. it is <laughs> i think understanding men is, is beyond the scope of this conversation of this conversation yeah <laughs> 
Um, Zooks, I see you very much as a super connector. Mm. You connect people and you connect books to people. Mm. I remember years ago getting a call or a text from you saying, the Obamas are in town. They've got Sasha and Malia with them. Mm. I want to get Trinity into their hands. Mm. And we kind of rushed around and found and a we copy. Found it. <laughs> and um, that impulse to get books into the hands of the right people mm. across countries, across the African continent, that is something that I've always seen you doing. And was that the basis for your literary festival, just knowing which books to get into the hands of which people? Yeah, absolutely. There was that because I kept thinking, I know all these fabulous books and all these fantastic writers, but how come so many people don't know them? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I, I wanted, I wanted to share that because what I do is I, I generally give books. So people will say, I don't, I've, I've got family members who are saying, Oh, I don't read. And I'm like, No, actually you do. I have a book for you. And I'll get them a book and I'll say, Read page one. If you don't like it, leave it. It has never failed. Ever. You know? And, and I'm talking about like ever, ever, ever failed in my like 17 year career. I always do that. I'm like, okay, this book is for this person. This book is for this person. But beyond that, because I do that, I'm actually doing a very interesting project. I don't know why I keep doing this thing, <laughs> but I'm doing a, a I'm, you know, you know, you know, um, uh, you you know the Decameron, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm doing something similar, mm-hmm. but what I'm doing is we've got uh, a bunch of writers, and um, and uh, each is taking over from the other and stuff and everything across the continent. It's it's very exciting, and we're going to, and we're about uh, a quarter way through, you know. Uh, so we've had four writers. We're on the fifth writer today. Uh, they're submitting their continuation of the story. So it's going to be a novel, but written by a whole bunch of people. And How fun. I'm so excited about it. Well, uh, I've always pictured doing that at a literary festival, having it happen live. Mm. That you start the book in the morning and you have ri- different writers come and do it live with people watching it on a screen. Mm. So I love that idea. Uh, Let me know when that one's done. Oh, yeah, no. So we're doing that. We're actually doing the editing in August. You know? Wow. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, um, I'm excited about it. Well, this is what's striking me, <coughs> me about you. You're excited about everything. You are full of excitement. Um, I'm, a, I'm a life of excitement. <laughs> you, you really are. It's, it's, very, very inspiring. And I'm going to, I'm hoping that I'm going to like suck off your energy mm-hmm. and, and walk out of here with some of that energy. I want to talk to you about your children's writing. Mm. And I'm presuming you're excited about that because you're excited about everything, but I want to know, <laughs> how is it different? How is the excitement writing for adults, writing for children? How is it a different experience? How is it the same experience? I have to say, um, that I'm, I'm, Personally, I was very happy to do Love, Mary Kill because I was happy to write for adults again. Mm-hmm. You know, children, children are, are, are very specific. You, you always have to realize, okay, I can't do this particular language. I can't do this. I can't. Hey, do you understand using the F word again in a book? How beautiful it is. <laughs> I really do. You know? <laughs> so, so, so it's, um, so, writing for children and then you you 
you kind of also then have to get into a space where, you know, at what level um, do I do this particular thing? But also, you don't want to talk down to children because children are, are, are more intelligent than we. Mm-hmm. a lot of adults give them credit for, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're also more incisive and, and yeah. And, and how they, do- they read up. Children yeah, tend to yeah, read a level uh, above uh, themselves. Exactly. So they always surprise you. So constantly it's like doing that balance. It's it's like being on a seesaw, but just... And how do you decide? You get an idea. And how do you decide, I'm going to make this for young children. I'm going to make this for middle grade children. I'm going to make this more young adults. Okay, so at least um, three of the children's staff were weirdly commissioned. Okay. Yeah. So one wasn't. Um, the the first one, so Refilwe was, I think, uh, Jakana was doing a project with, I think, uh, one of the reading, uh, reading, uh, you know, NGOs. Mm. And they asked me, they asked Cindy Way, they asked uh, Maggie Orford, they asked uh, a bunch of us to take a traditional fairy tale and uh and reimagine it and and you know so quite a few of the others were pretty they stayed pretty true to whatever hey me i just went wild i was like <laughs> yeah no you know uh rapunzel is now gonna be a black girl in lesotho you know, because I also wanted to get out of out of South Africa, but without getting out of South Africa, so I wanted it to be like recognizable, you know. And she's got dreadlocks instead of like, you know, blonde hair, and she stays in a cave on top of a mountain. So you know, I I, I just wanted to go wild with it, and because uh, refilio also means gift, and I wanted to make it whatever. And of course, you know, the mother when she's pregnant, she's craving. Uh, she is not, she isn't craving the Rapunzel plant. She's craving Morojo. So let's go wild. Let's, let's do, you know, you know, pumpkin leaves or something, you know. So I had a lot of fun with it. And, um, I love that it has, um, then had beautiful energy to it because, um, it's, it's actually, uh, currently on, uh, stage in, in London. Oh, they, wow. yeah, it's been adopted for stage, uh, in, in North London. So, um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Uh, and I remember talking to the playwright about it and she was like, yeah. Oh, and then she was like, yeah, but isn't this, um, isn't this, um, you know, when you, when you talk to, when you talk to somebody and, and they're like, yeah, but isn't this like, this person is, isn't this ableist and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, that's that's life though. <laughs> life is ablest. <laughs> you know? So I and, 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 and please understand also that it's 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 fiction, you know? And people will say certain things in fiction, you know? Uh and, and that 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 are actually true to life. I I always say fiction to me is generally more true to life than than Nonfiction because I tend to censor myself when I write nonfiction because, yeah. 
Let's talk about this. And sorry, Fiona, I'm doing it again. I asked three questions in a row instead of taking my turn. Um, but let's talk about this this thing about being politically correct in writing and checking yourself oh, God. and being woke about how you write and not being ableist and not being this and not being that. Are you finding it's affecting your writing? Oh, no. I refuse to let it affect my writing. <laughs> I refuse to let it affect my writing. In fact, you know, one of the, one of the things that I did for a very long time, and it, 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 it had been a very deliberate thing on my part, is, um, every one of my novels had, um, had, uh, a gay character mm-hmm. or a lesbian character. Uh, awesome. the novel that's coming, that's the first one that doesn't. And it's because I realize everybody else is doing it now. So, you know, uh, I think my work is done, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. So now I just want to tell a story. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, I recently went to a book launch. It was in Tiking Moshlele's um, collection of, collection short, of stories. short stories. And was at the market theater. And part of the launch was actors reading out part of the stories mm. and I thought to myself I have seen this before and I know where it came <laughs> from and I think you pioneered that that yeah. turning the book launch into a kind of staged thing where mm. actors perform mm. I think you got money from the film board I still don't yeah. know how you did that exactly. I, I'm a hustler baby <laughs> <laughs> um, so is, is that something you still do like what inspired it it's it's so I wanted my favorite type of books. What are your favorite type of books? You know, my, my favorite types of books is I love books that tell a story. So I always favor, um, plots over, over, you know, I, I mean, obviously you want beautiful writing as well as plot, but if you, I would, when I'm doing workshops, I generally favor writers who give me a good plot you know, mm-hmm. uh, versus good writing, but there's no story. Mm, yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So I love, I love, I love stories. And so in my writing and I've, I've generally, um, wanted to tell a story, you know, it might be like from multiple perspectives, it might be whatever, but generally telling a story. And so I wanted, um, people to understand that essentially books, a storytelling it's just telling a story and if somebody is not uh says they don't read they might be tempted to read if they see you know uh visuals of it a mm-hmm. performance of mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and um it's it's something that's uh i thought about it with obviously i did it with men of the south mm-hmm. and uh and, and London Cape Town jobbing. And in fact, I was calling into King. I said, ah, I see, I see you're learning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I see you're learning. I, 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 I heard you just did this, uh, what you call it, this launch. Uh, and, um, you, um, did it this way and it was like, yeah, but I, it's something that I'm still doing and I did it even in a curatorial way. This is gorgeous. This is from Megan did this. Here we are looking at the cover of what are we looking at? So this is artistic, artistic encounters. encounters. It's something that I curate and I started, uh, doing it years ago. I, um, 
I invited uh, the director, then director of the Guta Institute in Nairobi. I met her and we vibed and we were just laughing. It was at some event and we were drinking and laughing and whatever. And I said, hey, you cool? We should hang out. And she was like, oh, cool. You know, so I got her number and stuff. And I said, hey, come to my house, you know, for 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 lunch or dinner and whatever. Uh, because I like hanging out with people. I like, you know, that I vibe. So she came to my house and, uh, you know, and we became friends. And she said, you know what? I've been in this country for X amount of years. This is actually the first time that I've been invited to somebody's house. People generally come to me because they want funding. And I invite people to, you know, my house, but I've never been invited to anybody's house. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm not people. <laughs> I'm so bad, you know? So, so then, um, she then said, Hey, you know, you've stayed in all these places. I wonder whether you would be interested in, um, curating something, you know, with, with refugees and whatever, because they were doing a focus on refugees. I think it was the Guta Institute in Nairobi and, uh, well, it was the Guta, all the Guta Institutes in Alliance Francaise, you know. Brexit had already Brexited. <laughs> but they hadn't Brexited then, but, you know, uh, British Council hasn't really been whatever, but they, they, they came together. So I said, Oh, yeah, no, I, I'd be happy to. So I did this thing and, um, you know, it was, um, one of the, got one of the writers were published by Quella actually years ago. And he's like, uh, South Sudanese and he was talking about how he was, uh, he was a lost boy. Yes, you know? I remember. Yes. He was published Aha, when I was Aha, first Aha, published. Yes, yeah. he was Aha, amazing. Robo. Yeah, exactly. So I just said, give me the budget. And I flew him in from South Sudan. He's a lawyer there now. He's been staying there for ages. So I flew him in. I had like a whole bunch of other people. I had Yvonne Owo for internal displacement. So I had like these different panels, internal displacement, um, external displacement, etc., etc. And it went well. And then I said to her, I, I did this for you because you're my friend. But what I'd really love to do is have literature come together with like a different art form. And she said, can you write me a brief on how you see it? So I wrote, I wrote her a brief on it, Artistic Encounters. That became Artistic Encounters. I said, I wanted to see Kuala Kaputuma on stage with Victor A. Kamino, who's a writer, but also a visual artist. So Koleka was, so the very first artistic encounters happened in 2017 in, um, in Nairobi. And we had Koleka Putuma reciting her poetry and Victor A. Kamino drawing what he was understanding from the poetry and stuff. And we've then since had music and, but always literature is the base, you know, mm-hmm. uh, music and literature, actors and literature, this and that. Ange came through when she did Blessed Girl and uh, Nairobi was like really excited to have her <laughs> because there is uh, this woman uh, called Vera Siddika who's like plastic surgery bleaching very much like everybody was like oh my god <laughs> you wrote about it like no I didn't even know her <laughs> so I went to I had to show her I was like hey this is the one everybody thinks and the place was packed you know and I had Lola Shunin etc etc I was then asked to curate Lit Africa 2 in Zurich by uh, Stiftung Litter and um, and Strahoff Museum. And I said to them, so they said, how do you see it? So the first one, they had like um, the Let's uh, uh, Al Imfeld, 
he had all these interviews with all these amazing writers, you know, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, African, African writers, like across. It was just amazing, like, but mostly like Francophone and Lucifer. And then they say to me, we'd like you to curate um, uh, Lit Africa too. And I'd seen already what I had done. And I said, no, I'd really like some of my contemporaries. And um, they said to me, oh, okay. And I said, I want them. I want it to be an artistic encounters type of exhibition, you know. And I want art, you know. Uh, I want, I want, um, literature and other art forms. So I have, um, just for your listeners, I've got Ishmael Bear, you know, uh, you know, long way gone, but him as a novelist and he, so his novel Radiance of Tomorrow. And I coupled him up with a young artist that I met, 16 year old, 17, called Shafiq Manzi from Rwanda. So Sierra Leone, Rwanda. I have Virgilia Ferrao from Mozambique. For a novel, Osnosos uh, Feitikos, uh, with Yusara Ka- Campbell from Sao Tome and Princip. Then I have Abubakar Adam Ibrahim from Nigeria, uh, with Maimuna Jalo from Gambia. She's an actress. Um, and Yusara is also an actress. So two, two actresses. And then Angela Makolwa, South Africa, with Michael Soy, who's a visual artist. So he drew, uh, but we use critical but stable. So he drew his interpretation of the excerpt. And then we have Jennifer Makumbi from Uganda with Ndombebi Tobela, who's an artist as well, but she does like beading Ooh. and she is in, uh, in KZN. You know, they do amazing, mm. amazing work. And then we have Yara Nakayanda Montero from Angola with Zab's The Last Letter, our hip hop artist right here. We have Fiston Montamajila from DR Congo. With Prudence Katomeni from Zimbabwe, we have Onjaki from Angola, with Sereti from Botswana. So, yeah. And the magic that has just come out of it is the person who has to do three has got a tough act to follow. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. This was what I was saying. You're a super connector. Absolutely, yeah. That, that I've got exhausted listening to the <laughs> list of countries. I was, how does she do that? Yeah. Um. Zuki, we always ask our guests what they are reading or watching or listening to to fill up the creative well at the moment. Either something that's been great or not so great or just made an impression on you. Okay. What are you reading? What are you guys reading? <laughs> <laughs> you go first. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading this, The Miracle Game. I'm really loving it. Mm-hmm. That looks very difficult. Yosef. No. Yosef, uh, you know, he's a Czech writer, but stays in, um, in, uh, Canada now. But it's, it's really like, it's, it's set during, Czech during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and the main character is a writer, you know, and he's observing these things, but he can't say certain things because he's not a member of the communist party, but he, uh, he needs to like maneuver so that he never pisses off and gets arrested, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, it's, I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, I just finished, um, Milk the Beloved Country by Sitla Kumalo and, my God, I think it's his best work so far. It's just oh, I'm heartbreaking. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's heartbreaking as well because you're like, 
You don't have a country, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be skipping that one. I did, I did earlier today Ooh, say that we I have must... we have a geographical location, but not a country. <laughs> so you you are not ever going to be content to let South Africans stay in South Africa, read South African writers, and in Ghana they just read their own writers. You want. The continent no, to be I, aware of I, each I, other. I, I want the continent to be aware of each other. I want the continent to be, you know, one of the things that I keep telling people, um, yeah, somebody should actually just start paying me at Ministry of Arts and Culture, <laughs> <laughs> is that, uh, you know, right now, South Africa is outwriting everybody on this continent. South Africa, the 56 million of us or whatever, South Africa is outwriting everybody on the continent. The problem is nobody knows South African literature because our publishing companies are like, mm. you know, they look at the South African audience and then they look at like, let's go to Frankfurt Book Fair. Let's go to mm. London Book Fair. Mm. I have never seen any South African publisher at any literary festivals or book fair on this continent. And it's crazy because the stories that we're writing relate to the people on the continent. They're interested. They want to know what's happening. But we don't have that, you know? Our stuff is so varied and wild mm. and crazy and beautiful and stuff. When I even mention names, people are like, who's that, mm. you know? Mm. And it's sad because we are really, like, doing magic. But I suppose it's in politicians' interest that we don't read, you know, that people... Our work is not known or whatever, but it's, it's crazy. It's beautiful. So get please to me, like my dream would be like, if South African publishers actually got South African books in bookstores outside of South Africa, but on this continent. From your lips to their ears. For sure. Um, so Zuki, what can we expect from you next? It's love, marry, love, marry, kill. <laughs> can you give us a, a little peek at it? Just give us the the premise of it. So it's it's really written from a male and female perspective, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a woman who is married and a man who who's married, but they meet and then they fall in love. So they're not married to each other. <laughs> they're not married to each other. They're married <laughs> okay. to other people. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah. This particular one, because it comes out, you know, and then there's a there's a guy who's hired to kill somebody. Oh. <laughs> Cannot wait. <laughs> Exciting. Well, we want everyone to check that out when it comes. When it comes out. But you guys didn't say what you're reading. <laughs> well, yeah, Gail's just read An Angel's Demise by yeah. Sue Nyati. Oh, all right. How, how was loved that? It. I loved it. So this is, uh, I, I was saying earlier that I didn't want to read it because I was scared because Sue had told me it's quite heavy and I'm not reading heavy at the moment and then I had to read it mm. and I'm so pleased I did and uh, and it's actually as you were speaking I was thinking about it that my lesson from it as I've already said today is that I must be braver about what I read. I mustn't protect myself. And then I just heard myself saying, Oh, I'm not going to read that. That sounds too heavy. And I've, I've got to stop protecting myself from reading the heavy stuff. So I loved an angel's demise. Oh, loved fantastic. It. Looking forward to it, actually. Because when it launched, I wasn't in town and I didn't see any copies at, uh, time of the writer in Durban, you know. So yeah, definitely on my to buy list today. Off you go, straight to exclusive books, of but course. immediately. I am going to Rosebank and I'm getting a copy. Thanks, Suki. Thank you very much, guys. 
Gail, I am feeling so energized by talking to Zeki Swain. I think you are as well. I'm feeling a weird combination of energized and exhausted because <laughs> all that energy, I'm like, I'm not up to those levels of energy. <laughs> but it's inspiring. I mean, what Completely. she's done, what she's achieved, she just has to think something and it becomes a reality. Well, that's actually exactly what I was going to say to you. What I've taken out of this is she goes, she tells these stories and she says, and then I thought I'd love to do, and then she does. Yes. You know, I often think I'd love to do, and then I go and have a nap. <laughs> um, so I was very inspired by that. Yeah, it just makes you look at the potential for the the rest of your career in a whole different light. (laughs) (laughs) And now I need to go and have a nap just having listened to you say (laughs) that sentence. But yeah, really so, so much energy, so inspiring. And so she makes things happen. She really does. And uh, one thing that I got from it was the way Zuki is not content to let us all live in our silos, stay in our countries and sort of remain inward looking, but really to connect the different countries on this continent. And I think we as writers, perhaps maybe especially as white writers, when we think of publishing our work beyond the borders of South Africa, we think in terms of America, Mm. we think in terms of Britain, Mm. maybe translation rights into Europe, Mm. and we don't think enough about our own continent and this huge untapped market that's out there. A hundred percent. That was really, that made me pause and stop and weigh up myself and and check my biases that, that it has not occurred to me that you could sell translation rights to Angola. Hasn't crossed my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Portuguese is Angola, Mozambique, and then Brazil as well, apparently. Uh, Extraordinary. (laughs) Extraordinary. (laughs) Fiona, what is your writing advice for the week? Okay, well, it, it grows out of what I was saying earlier about this learning curve that I've been on in terms of of turning a book into a screenplay and how you cannot let it be too static. You can't stay in one physical location for too long. And it got me thinking about other ways of keeping things fresh in writing. I've noticed when I'm reading my own work and when I'm reading other people's work, if you get stuck in dialogue for too long, it becomes very exhausting to read. And likewise, if you get stuck in a flashback mm. or exposition or world building for too long, you you just become a bit weary. You get mm. a bit sick of mm. it and you want something new. There's this mm. kind of craving for novelty that we as a reading audience need. And it's useful to bear that in mind and to read over your manuscript and just think, is this too much dialogue? Is mm. this too much exposition? Have I remained in this kind of phase of writing Mm. for too long and do I need to mix it up with something else? Just as you talk, I'm thinking if you were an unlazy writer, so not me, um, (laughs) but you could almost, you could highlight like this is dialogue in one color, this is setting in another color and check that your colors are changing. Yes. Um, you know, you could be quite clever about it. And I think there's probably writing software that could help one do that in a very clever way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to visualize it, mm. to see, because we are kind of wrapped up and interested in what we're doing and don't realize that we've, we've kept our characters static for too long. Mm. Mm. I think I'm going to be writing in a whole different way this afternoon if I if I ever get to that point of the day. But <laughs> after your nap, 
And what about you, Gail? What what tips have you got? So I recently had an interesting Twitter dip in where Margie Orford was asking people how they name their characters. And I mm-hmm. have actually quite a, a strong method I have discovered. So I thought I would share that as I did on Twitter, which is that what I will do is I will work out when my character was born, which mm-hmm. will be dictated by the plot of the book. And then I will think about the type of parents, the type of world my character comes from would they have been named the most popular names of the day would they have been named um, the less popular names of the day and then I'll go into one of those lists that you find easily online of top 100 names for 1972 Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I will think where about in the list I want to be you know maybe this is someone who would have a very popular name and then I'll think okay I'm going to look what's name number four and I'll look at name number four if it resonates with me I'll use it if it clearly is not a name I can use because it doesn't resonate or because it's a name that's too close to me, has too much attached to it for me, then I'll move up and down the list looking around there. But I'll use those lists a lot. And then what I'll often do with siblings is if I've chosen name number 54 for the one sibling, I'll go into the boys list and look at name number 54 because those parents are probably naming at that level. You know how these Mm. name trends Mm -hmm. work. And what I like about that method is that then when somebody, the age of my character is reading, they're not going to go, no, that's not a name people my age are called. It's going Mm -hmm. to resonate because they're going to have known a certain number of those people. So that is my character method. Not always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a name just comes to me and I use it. But when I don't know what to do, that's how I name a character. And I would like to add to that, be careful not to have the same initial letter. 100%. So don't have a Margie, a Michelle, a Mary, and a Mame in the same manuscript because it is so confusing to the reader. And it's something that for some reason one does. Yes. That you got, Why you get is obsessed. That? I don't know. You get obsessed with a letter and you name everybody that letter. And international publishers actually won't put up with it. They okay. make you change the name. I think American publishers in particular um, are very aware that some readers are lazy and they don't read the whole name. They just kind of look at the first letter and then you can cause terrible confusion. I read a book the other day with an Adam and an Alan. Oh, and no, I, no, I didn't no, know what no was good. going on uh-uh. half the time. No, you can't do that. Well, if our listeners have got a brilliant way of naming characters or a great way of keeping things fresh with their plot construction, please let us know. We are on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.